The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world that knows the real end of season awards are the friends we made along the way. I'm Jake Mintz and that is NL Rookie of the Year voter Jordan Schusterman and we're both winners. It's me. I did it. I voted. I exercised my patriotic duty, my civic responsibility to say you know what? I really like Yuri Perez, and I voted him third. We're going to talk about the Rookies of the Year. We're going to talk about the Managers of the Year. We're probably not as long. Uh, we got the Scion coming up tonight, MVP tomorrow. Free agency rolls on. Free agency hasn't actually, I can't even say rolls on. It, nothing has occurred yet. Literally, there have been zero major league signings so far, which means we still have time to preview that. We have some more manager news, uh, and of course, we will begin this episode uh, talking about the the tragic news about the Padres owner Peter Seidler passing away this week at the age of sixty three. So, but before we get to Peter Seidler and thoughts on on him, uh, because I have many. Um, first of all, how are you? It's good to see you. We're back on Zoom. I visited New York this weekend. It was great. I hadn't been back in the city for a while. We saw some Lee Dome games, as you heard us recap on Monday. Uh, but now I am back in my humble abode in Indiana. And uh, it's like, oh, yeah, that's there's, there's Jay. He's still Jake. I was in that room. I stayed in that room that you're sitting. You did. There are now 7,999,999 people in the city that mm-hmm. Jordan has left. And every single one of them can email us at baseballbarbacast at gmail.com. We love doing the mailbag episode. We responded to quite a number of emails the other day. We sat down at a coffee shop in my neighborhood and just responded to as many people as we could. If we didn't get back to you, we will hopefully do so this week. Yes, either that or we'll we'll talk about it on the pod. We, we've continued to get some more, uh, some great podcast emails uh, and we will have more, especially as free agency doesn't roll on, we will probably uh, bring the mailbag back sooner rather than later. But a lot of fun offseason things planned, but we have a lot to get to because we do have some non-free agency related news. Um, and unfortunately, the news we are going to start with uh, before we get to the awards and uh, previewing our free agency hitters on this episode, uh, let's talk about Peter Seiler, Jake. Yep. I'm wearing my old school Padres hat, uh, the a, a Padres logo that is kind of the opposite of what Peter Seidler is associated with because he, you know, he brought the brown and gold back, he made San Diego baseball relevant in an emphatic way. And uh, as we as we have kind of heard over the past few years, um, but certainly recently, you know, he had been, been dealing with some pretty serious medical issues. This is someone who already beat cancer uh, before, um, but passed away yesterday at the age of 63. And I think that the response that we've seen from this, from Padres fans, from Padres media, uh, Padres players, we see... Guys like Joe Musgrove, Yu Darvish already visiting, you know, the Memorial at Petco Park. You know, we had been doing San Diego radio all year with our friends Ben and Woods, just understanding, even in a tough year like this, getting to know Ben and Woods, getting to know more Padres fans over the last few years. We've gotten to know them because we've realized, oh my gosh, this is an incredibly special baseball community. And Peter Seidler has had a massive impact on why that has become the case over the last few years. This is a city that has never had a major sports championship, and that is something that Peter Seidler recognized when he decided to purchase the team 
alongside Ron Fowler in 2012. And this is a quote from Dennis Lynn's article at The Athletic this morning about Seidler. Um, This is something that Seidler said to Lynn a couple years ago. Quote, but one thing about professional sports, to reiterate what I first heard from Bud Selig, baseball is a social institution. It always has been. I believe to this day it is America's pastime and the impact that the San Diego Padres can have on the city and the county of San Diego is something like no other business can have. And that was important to me. You know, we talk a lot about ownership in the modern baseball context, right? Why do owners own teams? And nowadays, a lot of them own teams because it's something shiny to put in your pocket and bring your rich friends to and make money off of. Peter Seidler was a steward of the Padres. And that is something that is incredibly rare nowadays. And his presence will be dearly missed in that context as well. Yeah. And I think something that we've learned uh, recently and just in the way that the landscape of baseball has changed is just never underestimate the importance of the owners. And I think that, you know, you read a book like Lords of the Realm and what baseball used to be like and how baseball is very different than what it was, you know, decades ago. But in the same way, like the, the personalities, the motivations and the passions of the owners do in many ways guide the entire sport. And there's not very many people who have those that that responsibility. Uh, but this is a great example of someone who single-handedly launched this team from, as we had said many times over the years, the least or one of the least relevant teams we had in the baseball universe to one of the most. And whether we've seen it, you know, reach incredible highs uh, of the NLCS in 2022. We've seen them reach embarrassing lows uh, this year, right? At the same time, it's what was consistent the whole time is how much Peter Seidler cared about the team and and showing San Diego that they did deserve a, a kind of jewel franchise. And he was able to do that. Just all it took was was him to do that. It But it it, it relied on him to do that too. And I can't help but think and look at the contrast of the situation that we're still dealing with with Oakland and just, but it, you know, John Fisher is an extreme example, but that is an example of someone who is not, does not care to see this through and to, to care about what baseball means in Oakland or care about Oakland fans. It's the opposite of that. Right. And so in this case, just everything about what we, what we've heard about Peter Seidler, even beyond how much he cared about helping the Padres win. Uh, is is inspiring stuff and and very cool and um, I'm, I look forward to continuing to kind of learn more about him in the coming days. But it is it is a huge loss and I think the way that that you see Padres fans talk about him it is it is no small thing that 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 it is there are very very few sports owners in general because listen we just saw the Rangers win because Ray Davis decided to pony up outrageous amounts of cash but Ray Davis was just kind of this big bag of money kind of floating above that did not, this was not someone that was hanging out in the stands. I or, can't recognize him. You no, know, most people wouldn't right until he was raising the trophy. And so it's, a, there's different ways to do it. And obviously we just want to see owners support their team and have fans be able to, to see that their team spend money. That's fine. But how personal it was for Peter, the, the degree to which he went out of his way to interact with fans all the time and, and let them experience yeah. what he got to experience is, is so cool. Very simply. The dude gave a shit. Mm -hmm. And because he gave a shit, he was able to get other people in his city to give a shit. And that is kind of the whole point of owning a baseball team. What does this mean for the San Diego Padres franchise moving forward? We're going to table that right now. Mm -hmm. I do think it is an important question. I don't think we have any idea. Right now, the one thing that's worth noting is the Padres are now the only team without a manager. And I would imagine that that remains the case at least for a couple more days or uh, another week as they kind of work through the morning process with of Peter Seidler. So we're going to kind of table that. It is relevant considering how much money he spent on the team and how much money they have committed and who's going to be running the show now. All very relevant. Let's back pocket it, and we'll chat about it in a couple weeks. Let's move on, Jordan, to award season. Mm-hmm. Break out your tux, roll out the red carpet, 
turn on the Zoom and put your whole family behind you in your living room because it's time to win something. Yes. Let's start with Rookie of the Year. Uh, it was not a joke. I did have a vote for Nationally Rookie of the Year. But before we get to my vote, because I voted like most other people, uh, we have two unanimous winners. We kind of knew this was coming. But to have Corbin Carroll and Gunnar Henderson both win unanimously, to have the one and two prospects coming into the season win the Rookies of the Year in the ways that they did, you know, Gunnar, Corbin, it was all basically wire to wire. Uh, so there was no surprise. Like, let's remember, Gunnar had a weird start to the year. Now, not that he was bad, but like for the first six weeks, he was essentially just standing up there watching balls go by, drawing a ton of walks, ton of strikeouts, wasn't doing any damage. He was just like seeing pitches. Dan Vogelback. <laughs> he was Dan Vogelback, except could play defense. Uh, and he was like, what the hell's going on? Like, this is weird. Then it seems like at some point, he kind of flipped the switch middle of the summer and was like, oh, like I'm seeing the ball. Now it's time to start hitting the ball. And he went off. He was a huge part of the Orioles offense. Orioles winning all those games. Able to play third. Able to play short. Uh, just, I mean, he had, and he had some real tears in the middle there where just his his power is so impressive. And, and again, we talk about Corbin Carroll's power. Him too, you know, Gunnar Henderson is, is well built, but his it's really about the swing and the loft and kind of the torque that he gets to to be able to impact the baseball. On top of the fact, of course, that he's a really good infielder, but what a player. Both of these guys who were very highly talented in high school, but were not considered the top, top, top of their class. And then very quickly, once they got into pro ball, it was like, oh shit, this guy should have gone in the top five or even higher. They're very different players from very different places. And I appreciate that aspect of it. Corbin Carroll is 5'10", and a corner outfielder who steals a lot of bases, who's from Seattle. And Gunnar Henderson is this enormous, like six foot three, super freak infielder from Alabama. And the juxtaposition of the two of them, and there are many different types of people who can be good at baseball. And I like that. I find oh, yeah. that cool. Anything down in the American League Rookie of the Year voting that caught your eye? Um, I mean, I will say that, like, not that I was surprised that Tanner Bybee finished second, but it was a reminder. Like, that was a hell of a season. That was yeah. – I because I, I think that those – some of those guys, especially on – even Tristan Cass the same way, the Guardians and Red Sox were so frustrating to watch, <laughs> particularly in the second half of the season, that it was harder to get excited about them, whereas, like, Josh Young was as in the spotlight as, as more than all of these guys, right? And so we've been thinking about him plenty. We've thought about Volpe plenty. We see Diaz, Yoshida, Julian getting support. Those were great seasons. But Cassis and Bybee, like, I, it was nice to kind of take a moment to think about those guys for what they were able to accomplish in, in otherwise kind of mess seasons for their teams. How would you have voted here if you had had an American League vote? Yeah, I haven't looked that closely at it. I think in my head, I probably would have gone with the way that it did. Um, but I, I, I really haven't looked at it that closely. So I don't know. I would have gone Henderson. Bybee and then Yiner Diaz in the third spot, I think would have been my pick. A rookie catcher to do that, to hit the way yeah. he did, was incredibly impressive to me. Yep, I agree. Uh, and then, I mean, whatever, Volpe getting third place. Like, whatever, we'll get to who am I to judge being the one person to vote someone third place as we go jump over to the National League. I So how would you have voted for National League? Because this is I'm a, a much more relevant part. To me, it was very easy uh, this one was, you know, Bybee got 20 of the second place votes. Kodai Senga gets 22 of the second place votes. Uh, James Outman finishes a narrow third ahead of Nolan Jones. And I definitely would have voted Nolan Jones over James Outman. Uh, but I voted for Yuri Perez, which we can get to in a second. But who would you uh, who would you have gone here with here? I would have gone Carol Senga, Nolan Jones. Nolan Jones. Okay. Yes. Uh, and so let's talk about the rest of those. Guys. So first of all, Senga. I mean... Listen, I don't love that these players are eligible either just because they, he's been a professional for 10 years and he's 30 years old. But if he's eligible, like I did kind, of, did kind of high him for a, hold him to a higher standard. But like he was one of the best pitchers in the National League. He led, you know, all rookies in innings by far. And he, especially in the second half, you know, we just talked about with Bybee and and, uh, and Cassis among disappointing seasons. But like, I mean, without Senga, what a what an even bleaker season. I know Lindor was good and Pete was good, but wow, Senga was just a uh, massive success for the Mets. If they if if he talk about the amount of pitching that they still have to get for this year and beyond, at least they have him because he is legit. And and 
I hope that he can, you know, hold up even more than 160 innings moving forward because he was amazing. And I wrote this when I wrote about my ballot. I love that his ghost fork was actually somehow better than we thought. Like it was everything we thought. It's like, oh, he's got this crazy pitch. It was the best pitch by swing and miss in all of baseball. And that is amazing. So Sanga's awesome. I'm a huge fan. Uh, Going through the ballot, we'll talk about your your third place vote in a second. My favorite thing in the voting here is the Associated Press writer from Atlanta going Carol, Matt McLean, Ellie De La Cruz. And I thought about why for a second. And then it hit me that when the Reds went to Atlanta, didn't they take three of four in Atlanta? Yeah, they, they yeah, they, they, I, I believe they beat Atlanta's both. Yeah. Well, I know they had the, the Ellie cycle game was in Cincinnati and that whole thing, but yeah, like yeah. they played really well against the Braves. And mm-hmm. I think one or two of those series were like when the Reds were unstoppable yes, in this the is, middle of yes. the season. And yes. so for the Braves writer to be like, yeah, I mean, I saw Ellie Dilla Cruz. It, like, I get that. I disagree with it, sure. but sure. I get the thought process behind it. Jordan, you sure. were the only person brave yes. enough to put yes. Yuri Perez third. Give me the <laughs> minute long pitch. Yeah. So a lot of it was kind of had to do with how tough it was to separate these hitters. I think Outman was awesome. I made the case that Outman and Steer had very similar cases. I thought McLean was incredible. I thought he was the best player on the Reds. I think when I dug into it really more statistically, I thought Nolan Jones was maybe the closest to getting my vote, considering he was just as good away from cores, just as good against lefties, a fantastic defender in the outfield. He checked so many boxes. And obviously, you were dealing with a variance in sample size for both the hitters and ultimately for Yuri Perez. Uh, who only made 19 starts. You know, he threw under 100 innings, ultimately ended the season on the IL. He got kind of shut down in the middle of the year to kind of manage his innings because he's 20. And that was a big part of why I was overwhelmed enough uh, to pick him. Pitchers who are that young are so rare to even make this many starts. They are so rare to have this amount of success. And he stood out to me the most. All of these other players were really freaking good. And I was like, damn, that guy's good. But <laughs> Perez, I was like, that is unlike anything I've ever seen. And if we're talking about a third place vote here and a season that I want to kind of see celebrated and rewarded, even in an abbreviated sample, I knew that, you know, Carol and Senga were going to be running away favorites. Um, and I, I truly believed it. This was not like, a, like I just, he was the most or the third most special rookie to me this year. And uh, I know it's risky, like his, because the nature of pitching it's way more likely that some of these hitters go on to multiple all-star appearances because pitchers are just risky like that. We know he already got hurt, even though it was an on-arm injury. A lot of risk with it. But I was just I was just blown away by him in a way that I haven't been by a pitcher in an extremely long time. So that's why I ultimately went with him. And that's as someone who went to 30-plus Reds games this year, you know? And I saw how good Steer was. I saw how good McLean was and Dela Cruz and Andrew Abbott, right? So I'm glad the Reds guys got a good number of votes so that that's represented. But I just, Perez was overwhelming for me. So that's why I went with him. Let's move on to the managers of the year. This award is silly. We've talked about it before. It is basically a delta between how good did we think you were going to be and how good were you? And it must be the manager. Because the two winners were Brandon Hyde of the Baltimore Orioles and Skip Schumacher of the Miami Marlins. Yes. And while we definitely don't care about this award at all, um, the voting is always fascinating. And maybe we'll vote for this someday. I wouldn't really want to, but it's possible it would happen. It would certainly feel the lowest stakes for me uh, compared to the player awards. Now, you mentioned like, yeah, that is generally what it is. Okay, who who was the manager for the team that did way better than we thought? But then how do you explain the eight people that voted first place for Brian Snitker? Like, <laughs> like oh, the Braves are going to be awesome. And then they were, they were really awesome. Well, they Good were really awesome. I, I guess that's the thought process. They were really awesome. Uh, let's start in the American League, though. Brandon Hyde, the winner, 27 of the 30 first place votes. Bruce Bochy got the other three. Brandon Hyde finished second last year on a team that didn't even make the playoffs, which is pretty impressive. This was his award. The Orioles won 100. The Orioles won 100 games. That's it. That's really yeah, all no, I need no, to no. say. And, and I think he had a good case last year, too. Uh, Tito wins last year. But, I mean... 
I I guess I'm a little nah. I get it, yeah. The Orioles were projected like 81, so I'm not. I, I was gonna say like I kind of thought there might be even more Bochi love because Bochi is so beloved. But but um, you also yeah, have no, to remember when the voting is done, right? So at no, the I end know, of the I regular That's season, That's the Rangers are kind of falling apart, and That's it's true. like oh no, they're not going to win true. the division. Good point. And yeah. so that's when the votes were cast. And the yeah. thing with Hyde is that, remember, this guy survived the rebuild. He's like the only manager ever to witness an 100-loss season, right, and a 100-win season on the yeah. same team and make the right. play. Like, mm-hmm. it, this is a well-deserved award. I like in the American League that the only six people to get a vote are the six playoff teams, and they're kind of ranked in how surprising of a season they had. So yeah. it goes Orioles, Rangers, Rays. It's like, yeah, like, Anytime the Rays win over 95 games, Kevin Cash will finish third. Yeah, that's just how get, it goes. He will get votes. And that's he fine. will get votes. That's it's like LeBron winning MVP. We're tired of it. <laughs> Kevin Cash, great. Then it goes Twins. It's like, well, you won the AL Central. I freaking hope so. Rocco Baldelli. Dusty Baker Astros. Like, kind of a down year for the Astros, and Dusty is only fifth. And then John Schneider, Blue Jays, gets one third place vote. Clearly the most underwhelming playoff team. But still a playoff team, yep. so they get a vote. That's that's why Scott Service ain't getting no support. That's for sure. <laughs> you collapse in September like that. That is not going to happen. As for the National League, this voting was way more all over the place, as I mentioned. We have Skip getting eight first-place votes. Same number as Brian Snicker, but because he got uh, hilariously eight first-place votes, eight second-place votes, and eight third-place votes, which means he didn't even get votes. Six people didn't even vote for uh, Skip Schumacher, but he still ends up winning. Council, Brewers manager finishes second, Snicker third, Lavello fourth, which even before the postseason, you could have argued he could have ended up higher by the standards that we that we hold. Uh, Dave Roberts, David Bell, David Ross, bringing up the rear <laughs> in very funny fashion. The Dave's in the bottom. Uh, this one, we have seven guys getting a vote, five playoff teams, Rob Thompson shut out. Yeah, Rob Thompson shut out. How about that? That really, if there was any further emphasis of just like the degree to which the narrative around the Phillies shifted this season where it's like, okay, that was cute last year. Now you're just the rich, famous, really talented team. Congrats. Now at the same time, why the hell is Dave Roberts and Brian Snicker getting votes? I will say this, this is maybe the most compelling Dave Roberts season we've had. By far. I know the top of their roster is still as good as any's, but like I also am still trying to figure out how the Dodgers won that many games. Is it because of Dave Roberts? I don't really think so, but you could at least build that narrative in a way where I'm like, wow, how did they do that? And that's a good way to get manager of the year votes. Good but for yeah, Skip. I'm happy for Skip. Like he should have won. I, I can't even believe this was close. I, I think that when you have your negative whatever run differential and you're winning all the close games and also just like you're new and it's clear you've changed the culture, like I don't know what else you'd like. He felt like the very obvious one here. Craig Council, why are we still, what does he need to prove any further? So I like that one. Go skip. All right. Let's move from managers. Oh, I guess, sorry. Cy Young tonight, Colin Snell, MVP tomorrow, Ronald and Shohei. Yeah. We want to talk about the Ronald thing? Uh, yeah. So just a quick little preview on this. Um, I'm excited to talk about Garrett Cole Cy Young because I'm glad that's finally going to happen. But, uh, Ronald Acuna is playing in the Venezuelan Winter League this winter, and he is reportedly going to be debuting tomorrow on Thursday, around the exact time that they will be announcing that he won the MVP, or as we assume. Normally, when you win the famous award, you go, either you go on LB Network, or you, and then you do a conference call with the writers, and blah, 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 blah. Will this actually happen? Stay tuned, because he is supposed to be debuting... With Tiburones uh, on Thursday, the team that he appeared for briefly last winter, and it seems to be planning on playing for a lot this winter. And then, again, I wrote this whole thing. He retired from this team. Yeah. Big, your mean energy. Um, you know, just retiring in the middle of just retiring on a whim and then coming back. Uh, but shouts out to Daniel Alvarez. Of course, we had breakfast with him yesterday. He is the best. Uh, who covers Venezuelan baseball better than anybody. So I recommend following him because he's on this story as well as anybody. So just just keep an, keep an eye out. If you watch the awards on Thursday, I'm very excited to see, will we see Ronald? Will they delay Ronald's debut till Friday? Who knows? But this is something, you know, storyline to watch. As for the actual winners, whatever. I, I am excited. I am always excited for the down ballot MVP 
stuff because that you get all kinds of fun names. So looking forward to that, but we'll talk about that on Friday. Manager news. Let's start with the Brewers who named Pat Murphy, their manager replacing Craig Council. Pat Murphy was the bench coach in Milwaukee for a number of years. He was a head coach for Notre Dame and Arizona State at the college level for a long time, was an interim manager for the 2015 Padres, has not led a big league team since that year. Like Pat Murphy, I think this is a sign that the Brewers do not anticipate um, being as competitive as they were last year. Yeah, I mean, and the reason we say that has less to do about Pat Murphy as much as like, they're kind of, I would assume, looking for some stability. They're not necessarily ready to hire the manager of the next great Brewers team with all the young guys coming up. I could be wrong. Maybe Pat Murphy comes in, whether they're good or bad this year, he proves like I am the guy that will lead the Jackson Churios and the Sal Fralix and this, you know, all, all these next young, this next wave of Brewers talent after we trade all the veterans. Very possible. But from an optics standpoint and from a stability standpoint, We've kind of seen a version of this before, and this would be who I would expect if they're kind of looking for a transition year. Is, is If that's disrespectful to Murph, I apologize, because again, like it is cool that he's going to be getting to be a major league manager in a, in a real capacity. And so in that sense, that's great. But in general, I think that is what it looks like. I agree with you there. I think the Brewers <laughs> certainly doesn't change anything about the way we think the Brewers are going to be handled this offseason. Yeah, it's not... It's not a roll of the dice, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And right? like also, like, I know you can say, oh, what's the difference between this and Espada? You know, Espada had been the bench coach forever, just like Murphy, whatever. And like, that's true in some senses, but Murphy's it's just not as much, he has not been considered like a rising managerial star, right? He's just been there and he's very qualified, at the very least, extremely qualified to manage a major league team. And that is makes why a lot of sense why they went with him. Manager of the year next year, probably. <laughs> sure. That'd be really funny. Maybe it was always, oh, maybe it was all Murph Council. Oh. Actually, not the brains. The Cubs hired the wrong guy. <gasps> wow. Ooh, I just came all the way around on that. All right. I love it. Uh, anyway, so that's Brewers filled, as we mentioned. Padres don't expect to be filled for a little bit. I mean, it seems like they're pretty far down the, the road in those, that process, but you can imagine that the Seidler news might delay that a little bit more. We'll get to that when we need, but you were at the Carlos Mendoza presser uh, yesterday. So did you learn anything uh, from that? We had the Espada and Council ones too, but you were at Mendoza. So let's just focus on that. Coolest thing about that is how much it meant to Mendoza. He is just the second Venezuelan to be named manager of a big league team. There have been two uh, interims, but he's just the second to be named. And it was clear that that was a huge deal for him. He was close to tears multiple times. His family came in from Venezuela for it. It was an emotional day. Carlos Mendoza is a serious person. He is not a joker, if that makes sense. He is not going... Again, this could go 85 ways sideways because they're the Mets, but I expect Mendoza to be the right guy for the job. I was impressed by him. Who knows, right? Like at these press conferences, their words collaboration and teamwork and leadership and culture flow like word vomit. But I, based upon what I know about Mendoza and having been around him when he was with the Yankees a little bit, I like this guy. I think he's qualified. I think he'll do a good job. Yeah. Interesting thing is that he did not say the words Brian Cashman at all. And he only said Aaron Boone's name when prompted. I actually asked a question during the presser, which managers that you have either played for, worked for, or been around, would you like to emulate their style? Mm. Right. And you would think that the guy would say, oh, well, you know, the dude I was the bench coach for for four years in the Yankees. No. Dusty Baker, Rob Thompson were the two that he shouted out. There you go. So yeah, that that is interesting. And again, that's not, I'm not trying to make too much out of it here, but it is interesting because sometimes you have guys when they do get their a new a new big job or a promotion or they change teams, they say, first of all, let me thank everybody where I was just working, right? So he did thank the Yankees organization, yep. Yep. but he did not really call anyone, many people by name. Sure. But again, most importantly, like this is 
this is his day, right? And he, especially when you mentioned like how historic of a, of a, of a thing it is um, for him to become a manager in this position uh, after, of course, being a, a candidate multiple times. And yeah, it's it's really cool. And, and I think, uh, and as we, we just mentioned Daniel Alvarez, I know he was there specifically for that. And uh, just, just always, always great to see um, a, a moment like that too. But I agree. I, I'm excited to see what he can kind of do. Now, as with basically any team, any manager, any so just like, I'm still looking at the roster. I'm saying, okay, who's pitching after Kodai Senga? <laughs> and that's not Carlos Mendoza's problem. That's David Stern's problem. And uh, we're going to find that out. But that is that is probably, especially for this first year, there's going to be a lot that's going to dictate how Mendoza does that has nothing to do with how qualified he is. And we're going to find out. Um, as for the council and Espada ones, I didn't have too much uh, to add on those. I mean, the council one was very anticipated. Okay, oh my God, is he going to say? And I think the only thing I saw from the council one that kind of is, is him admitting like, yeah, this was actually like a lot harder than I thought it was going to be, which... You know, I don't know if that's if he's trying to if that's him being like admitting and being like, yes, no, I, I am thinking about this now. Like I didn't re- is that did he really not realize it? Like, I don't really believe that either. So that part is is interesting, uh, but it, it kind of went off as I expected. It wasn't too, too dramatic, I don't think. That's all we got. Jordan, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we will preview this free agent hitter class which is mid. Hey everyone, producer Chris here with a brand new housekeeping note about our merch. Basically, we have a bunch of new stuff. So if you've been looking for a baseball barbercast themed beanie or bucket hat, or even a t-shirt with one of those cool pockets on the chest, well, you can stop looking and start buying because they are all available right now, just in time for winter. Just go to podswag.com slash baseball and don't leave yourself clothesless this winter. That's P-O-D-S-W-A-G dot com slash baseball. And welcome back to Baseball Barbacast. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. This free agent group is full of pitchers. We'll talk about them later. Yeah. Let's talk about the hitters. We have around eh, 20 or so, 25 names that we think are worth mentioning. We're going to kind of tier them in different groups. Talk about how the various websites have projected them in terms of salaries. Maybe chat about potential fits, whether we like the players or not. And we will begin with Shohei Otani. Now, we're going to do a whole episode on Shohei Otani. How much do you want to talk about Shohei Otani right now? I mean, I think that the most interesting part in this specific, let's talk about him as a free agent hitter, is that he's a free agent hitter. And the best for one. The, and the best one. But for the purposes of, uh, I think here, let's just do this thought experiment. He never pitched. Pitching was never a thing. You didn't even know he pitched. Uh, not, not, not a thing. But he, he is a DH. He pitched in high school. Pitched in high school. Great. He's a DH. Can't, still can't play the outfield for whatever reason. Okay. And he's healthy. There's no surgery. No, you don't have to worry about any of that. He's just he's just a hitter. I mean, I don't I can't I can't think of a DH that to this degree has been on the market. Like this is like not yeah. That's because there aren't any 30-year-old DHs. <laughs> right. Okay, so it's a weird scenario. I guess my point is like if it was just like he is a DH. Look at this guy. Wow, he hits the ball really hard and really hard. Oh, he still strikes out a lot. Like He's still easily getting two hundred million, but like I don't know, I don't know though. Like <laughs> this is it's an interesting thought. What what do you? What, I mean, he he had the highest OPS in baseball this year, so you could say he's the best hitter in baseball. Do I believe he is the best hitter in baseball? No. Is he a top ten hitter in baseball? Yes. So I'd be curious where if we just started there before we open up everything else about him. That's the other part of it too. Is it's like let's say he's just DH from Topeka. He has no, he's not bringing in any uh, additional branding sponsors. Like, I am just looking at his hitting stats and deciding how much am I giving this guy. The reason I say all that is because just that alone, this dude would be getting crazy paid and would be the best hitter on the market. I think it's like eight two fifty, <laughs> Right, right. And that's just like the, the scaled down, extremely boring, straightforward version of Otani. That's like where, where it, it starts, eight two fifty. Like, yeah, it's... Yeah. Again, uh, he could probably play the outfield if you really needed him to. Yeah. And that takes it to like 10, 3, 30. <laughs> and then you're like, 
he's getting what Trey Turner's getting. Maybe he steals like bases too. He's stealing bases. I, I will like, say, you know, the DH he's an amazing base runner. So especially for a DH, so it's an interesting profile. It's definitely an interesting profile. Interesting so, profile. But that's Shohei yeah. Otani. Put him to the side. Who? What teams are interested? All of them. Yeah, and let's move them. down to tier number two, which begins with Cody Bellinger, a free agent that I would not touch with a 35-foot mm. pole. Do mm. you agree? I still think he's probably the second best guy in the market behind Otani. Mm-hmm. Would you have him number two? I would. I kind of want to bring Matt Chapman into this conversation already because I think that they have very interesting different uh, challenges ahead for them. Because Cody Bellinger did rebound this season in a very real way. He had a fantastic season with the Cubs. However, he also reinvented himself in a way that is both impressive and kind of strange. Because now you look at Cody Bellinger, the hitter, and you say, wow, okay, he's now making more contact. He's not striking out. But also, he's not hitting the ball anywhere close to as hard as it used to be. Not that he didn't have power production, but you're like, okay, well, is 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 his power potential now just gone from what it was before the, you know, the shoulder surgery or shoulder injury and all these things? And is he just now this like very balanced hitter who's not necessarily going to carry your offense, but is like a good hitter and play first and play center, already a bizarre defensive profile? Or you have Matt Chapman, who ever since he arrived in the big leagues, can smash the baseball as hard as basically anybody else you have. Even this year, he was 98th percentile in barrel rate, hard hit rate, exit velocity, all the things. And yet, what you have with him is the risk that he'll go four months hitting 200 and slugging 300. And you're like, well, what the fuck am I working with here? The reason I mention that is that there are some teams that are going to be like, oh, no, Chapman. Like, this dude still just won another gold glove at third. Like, look at the exit velos. This is great. Like, it's not like there's any power, even if you... Or you're bringing the the kind of the risky, the the volatile profile. On the whole, there's still so much great star potential here. Where with Bellinger, you're like, oh no, if he's already barely hitting the ball hard now, like what happens in three, four, five years? I think for the same price, Bellinger is a better player. But for the okay. price yeah. you're going to get them for, I would way rather have Matt Chapman. Mm-hmm. Maybe the Cody Bellinger rejuvenation is real. I'm happy to let one of the other 29 teams figure it out. <laughs> They're both That's Boris. That's another important thing uh, to consider is they are both Boris. Boras. Uh, uh, yes. <laughs> and because of that, um, that just, again, price of the brick going up always. And I think that for Bellinger, I also like, we just talk about Tiny how it, like the, the first base center field thing is one of the stranger, we've, we've come to accept it as normal because Cody Bellinger has been in our life for a long time. But like, that's a pretty big deal. Because I have to imagine that the team that wants him to play center field most of the time is the team that's going to pay him more than the team that wants to play him at first base all the time. But those fits might not necessarily line up in the same way. Whereas, you know, with Chapman, it's a little bit more straightforward. There are some teams that badly need third baseman. Are those the teams that are going to give him $150 million? I think we're going to find out. But very different players, very huge amounts of risk that really illustrate how not deep this class is, particularly how scary it is at the top. But I, I just love that contrast in the way that we kind of have some contrast in the pitching side with Snell and Nola, very different kinds of players, different kinds of risks, different kinds of upside. I see that with Chapman and Bellinger um, in a very similar uh, similar sense. But as for the money, I mean, yeah, like I think Bellinger is going to get $200 million. I think the age has a lot to do with that too. He is way young for a, for a free agent, let alone one that is this good. So I could see him getting a pretty long deal. I mean, the 12-264 that... Trade rumors, bro. I mean, that's that's a lot to that's that's a lot to. I, I don't know if I can wrap my mind around that length, um, but yeah, I can see him getting eight years for sure. I think that him getting the Nimmo deal is totally realistic. I don't know, man. He was just a pumpkin. He was a pumpkin. He was bupkis. Yeah. And I, this is a great example of like, I'm in a desk chair in my apartment, and there are people who do this for a living who have a much better idea how real the Bellinger bounce back was there are teams talking to people on the Cubs and like trying to figure out how legitimate it is and the makeup. And like, I can't speak to a lot of that stuff. So I'm just going to go ahead and pass on Cody <laughs> yeah. Bellinger as That's a whole. fair short. It, yeah. It is just really interesting to see that like some of the projections have their contracts being almost the same. And then you have the, 
ridiculous yeah. MLB trade rumors went. So, which we love MLB trade rumors. They're they're actually, I mean, they they normally shoot high and they usually do pretty well, but that one just I think shocked everybody. I have put Jung Hoo Lee in this second tier. Do you agree with that? I do agree with that. Um, again, the age thing is here. If you're unfamiliar with Jung Hoo Lee, he is basically the best Korean prospect uh, since Shinsu Chu 20 years ago. He's been uh, one of the best players, if not the best player in the KBO since he arrived, since he debuted when he was 18. Uh, he's a career 340 hitter in the KBO, which even if you adjust for the competition, is illustrative of a legitimately elite hit tool. Uh, just like almost double the number of walks and strikeouts. All of the things kind of that we were saying about Yoshida in a lot of sense, but with less power and a much better defender. Uh, he had an ankle injury this year that kind of wiped out the second half of his season. But this dude could play center field. At the very least, he could be a really good corner outfielder. And so if you're projecting, you know, the power to kind of come along, he's not quite as built like, you know, macho man as we called Yoshida. But the bats of all skills here are outstanding. The defense is there. And most importantly, and the reason why he's up there and the reason why we think he's going to get a ton of money is because he's 25. And so in the same way that we'll you know talk about with Yamamoto, like that is just the kind of free agent you don't usually get to pursue very often. And I think that there are teams that are, are going to buy in and, and have known about him for a long time. And I think that he is going to do quite well. I think that the Yoshida deal which was, you know, with posting, and that's going to come into play here too. I think that that's a, that's a round where I'm expecting this to end up. It might be a little bit less. You know, Hassan Kim got a good amount less than that, but I think Lee's going to get closer to what Yoshida got. And there's a chance he takes more money on a shorter deal so that he can hit free agency at a younger age or at least toss a couple opt-outs in there, which is exactly what Kim did. Yep. Lee is projected as an everyday player, probably not an all-star MVP type. But there's a pretty high floor here, and that's why we have – and he's young, right? He's yeah. only 25. And that's why I kind of have him above the Lourdes Gurriel, yep. Teoscar Hernandez group of outfielders. That's that's how I ended up uh, ranking him uh, for my free agent rankings at Fox Sports. Like I just thought like that, that – it's just going to put him in a different class. And also, it's going to open up the bidding for more teams than we think. You could see teams that maybe have the money but aren't necessarily in the best position – to compete right away, they have time to, to they can let him kind of figure it out. Because we saw with Kim, it's taken a few years for him to become. But he's, I mean, Kim's awesome. You know, he what a fun player he is, and he's proven to be an elite, elite, elite defender and a, and a pretty solid hitter. And it took him a few years to get there. But Lee was his teammate, and like everyone is considered Lee the the you know the superior prospect. So especially left handed hitter, also, I just think he's going to be in really good shape to get a sizable deal. The group below that group is, here's how I'm thinking about them. Locks for multiple years. Players mm -hmm. who are almost certainly going to get contracts for more than a single season. Everyone, all seven of these players were projected by ESPN, Fangraphs, and MLB Trade Rumors to get multiple years, except for J.D. Martinez and Fangraphs, who had him at one year, $14 million. Lourdes Gurriel, Teoscar Hernandez, Mitch Garver, Jorge Soler, Reese Hoskins, J.D. Martinez, and Heimer Candelario. Ranked in no particular order. Do all these fit together in your head? I do. I would say J.D. and probably Reese um, are the two that don't feel like locks to get multiple years. Uh, just because you could see, I mean, J.D. is strictly D.H. He's going to be 36, 37. Now, his, off, his offensive performance was both as encouraging as you could get among all of these guys. He's been the most consistent power production. He also set a career high in strikeout rate. Like, there's some concerning trends with JD. I'm still a huge believer. I think he could, he could fit in the middle of any order. But that's a, still a profile you don't necessarily see going multiple years. The rest of them, I agree with you. But at the same time, like you say, you put them in any order. That's kind of if you pull up your favorite free agent rankings, when there's many of them out there, you will see this list of players in a very different order on on very various websites because you just can pick and choose what you like and don't like with all of them. Guriel, you're like, okay, Guriel and Candelario, I group together because I'm like, I know what I'm getting here, but is this actually a star? Probably not. Teoscar and Soler, the best version of them, it's like, holy shit, like watch out. You know, when they go on a heater for a month, they can absolutely carry you. When it's bad, it's pretty bad. Garver has been a very good hitter recently. We see him be an important part of a World Series champion. Has never been healthy. No one, do teams actually trust him to catch? 
We don't know. We know the questions that come with Reese having missed a whole year. And then I just kind of gave you what J.D. Martinez said. So again, this is with the theme of the whole class. There are some serious red flags with essentially every single uh, hit, um, free agent hitter here. And that's why I keep falling back to the Candelarios and Gurriels because I just think that those guys are, are really safe bets and why when you're talking about a multiple-year commitment, you, I don't see a scenario. And they're also a year or two younger than a lot of these other guys. I don't see a scenario where you, what you sign with them, you're like, oh, God, that's a catastrophe. You're just like, okay, like he's on my team now, and that's good. And that's kind of why T. Oscar scares me. He ended up being around a league average hitter for Seattle this year, but there were stretches that were just abysmal. Mm-hmm. Career-high strikeout rate, career-high swing rate, career-high ch- – like he was just swinging and chasing a lot more than he had in years past. When he's at his best, it's a legitimate middle-of-the-order bat. But in my mind, it's trending in the right direction. And I know that his defense has gotten better yep. over time. Still, he's entering his 30s in a corner outfield spot. Yeah, very scary. Uh, and whereas Solaire, he's trending in the wrong way defensively, playing less outfield than he has ever before. But he just had, you know, probably this, you know, best overall or second best year of his career with trends in the right direction. You know, he's cutting down on the strikeouts with more walks and there's a more overall profile. The thing, though, that I keep going back to is like, man, if Mitch Hanniger can get three years and $43 million or whatever, like there were some deals for way riskier players <laughs> recently because at, at the very least, the Oscar shows up and plays. You know, there's some yeah. durability factor that comes into play with all these guys, too, when you start talking about Garver. Um, and I think also why Gurriel and Candelario are, are appealing. Like, Teoscar is generally healthy. And so, especially in a better ballpark, I mean, he was clearly in a very, very not <laughs> hitter-friendly park in Seattle. I think that's another situation where I, I still expect him to end up with certainly multiple years and maybe, uh, and, and maybe even, you know, 50, 60 billion. You want to be irresponsible, throw some teams around? Uh, sure. I mean, again, like when we're talking about, you know, in the case of Gurriel and Candelario, we are talking about very specific positional fits, right? Correct. Candelario is going to be a really good option. Everyone will say, let's say Chapman signs first and then Candelario gets, you know, a third of whatever Chapman gets. People are going to be like, oh, that's actually a much better deal. Like Chapman is, I, I do believe Chapman is a better player, but like, I love Candelario. I think his switch hitting is underrated. I think the fact that he's a really balanced switch hitter, he's just as good from both sides of the plate. Totally solid defender and has kind of proven to be a, a really safe, you know, league average bat. And that is a valuable thing. Who needs third baseman? Who needs third baseman? We can talk about this with Chapman too. Arizona. Arizona. Yeah. And that's why while Chapman would be a hell of a splash, like Candelario seems like a, a much more realistic investment uh, from their from their point of view. The Cubs, I think, are an interesting one. I think the the Nationals are an interesting one. We don't know how quickly they're trying to get. I know they just had Candelario. Are they ready to compete this year? If they were to, again, go after Matt Chapman, that'd be more of a longer-term thing. But there's not... I mean, I'm trying to think of other places with like very obvious third-base holes. I mean, are the Mets going to let Beatty That's get the one. run of show is a third-base conversation yep. to have. The Angels are... I mean, they have Rendon, yes, but... They, uh, they're not. There's no way. that they, 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 They're already starting the, their Rendon rejuvenation. You know, yeah. So I uh, I think it's... it's it's. A, I guess when I was going through, it's a smaller group than I, than I thought. The Cubs, like we... You know, the Tigers could try and, and Tigers make a move are, there. That's a really sneaky one. I think that's one that for... For Chapman, again, like, would they go for a risky guy like Chapman after what's happened with Bias? Very different problems, but also you could kind of see where it's like, oh, God, like five more years of that. Right. And then for the outfielders, I mean, I think Atlanta, now that they've gotten Mm -hmm. rid of Eddie Rosario, Rosario. didn't pick up his option, they're in the market for all of these outfielders, some of which we're going to get to in our next group. Mm -hmm. I think uh, you could see the Giants in the mix Mm -hmm. for one of these. I think the Mariners easily. If yep. they decide to get a full-time DH or even someone just to replace Teoscar is or in right or left, I think a lot of these guys make a ton of sense for them if they are looking to improve the offense. I could see the Blue Jays. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's one too. You know, obviously we're going to get to some of these other bats in a second, but that's one where you have the defense in the outfield, but now Kiermaier, who we're going to talk about in a second, you assume Varsho goes to center. You know, there's, there's some, there's some questions there. So, but again, that's another thing. Another theme of the of the overall hitter class is just like not only are the hitters risky and underwhelming, the fits are harder to find than normal. Normally, it's just like, oh, yeah, obviously, they're going to get one of them and they're going to get one of them. And it's harder to do that uh, in general. Um, I would say also like 
I guess we'll, we'll get to the lefties. I guess all of these guys are right-handed hitters. I guess because it's Candelario is a switch hitter. Um, but the lefty bats also brings in a different element. And we just talked about some outfielders and guys that can actually, you know, use their gloves. Uh, let's talk about some DHs. This next group is other hitters who appeal in certain ways, but you are not going to want them in the field. And that is Jock Peterson. That is Justin Turner. That is Brandon Belt. That is Michael Brantley. Carlos Santana, sneaky solid. Joey Votto, certainly fascinating for a million reasons that have nothing to do with his stats. CJ Crone, Yuli Gurriel, uh, those guys are those guaranteed to get major league deals? Probably not. Um, I was surprised when I did my rankings initially. Like, I was surprised that Belt was really not on many when I did my first rankings, but like, he did exactly what they asked him to do, which is come in and just pummel right handed pitching. He did it. He was amazing in the last few months. Like, he did, of course, he's completely platoon. He's a DH, barely playing first, but I don't, I mean, I. He's striking out a ton. Like he's clearly leaned into just a very specific skill set, but like that is a skill set that is very valuable. And I, I'm, I'm kind of sold. I think Belt would be would be awesome for a lot of teams. DH first base, lefty bench bat on a playoff team. Mm-hmm. I would be an idiot and give him two years because I'm stupid. Yeah. I don't know how to run a baseball team. <laughs> I'm like that guy freaking rakes. Right. Two years. Right. Well, that's another thing with like the DH. Like how many of the DHs are actually going to get multiple years? Um, with JD is the one where he has the longest track record of success. Justin Turner also. Justin Turner is another one where he opts out. Like clearly Boston was a great place for him, but it seems like he just wants to kind of pick where he's going. I don't think he's just chasing the highest dollar at this point, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, that's another one that makes sense for Arizona if they're willing to play him a third, but that's probably not a good idea otherwise. This whole group is a fit for the Rangers too, now that Mitch Garver is probably going to go. Yep. I could see Belt would be he's from Texas. Ooh, that seems yeah. like a pretty obvious fit with the Rangers. Sure. Other teams with low DH production, the Mets. Yeah. Right. I mean, it seems like they're moving on with Vogue. I mean, so much of the Mets is just like, right, how how good are they trying to be? But this is a great example of wouldn't cost a ton, would raise your floor and your ceiling for 2024, whether you're going all in the way you were last year when it was a disaster, or you're just trying to get better and put yourself in position to maybe make the playoffs again. I think that that's a that's a great example of of the kind of move that that the Mets would pursue instead of going big for Matt Chapman. Like this, getting guys like this make way more sense for them as a way to become more respectable. Like yeah. I said, raise the floor, raise the ceiling. And then one year deal. I mean, Matt Brantley's one year eight to yeah. ten mil. Someone's gonna pay him. I don't think it's gonna be the Astros. I can see the Rays kind of gambling on that. Yep. If they think they can get a bounce back from him, he might be a little bit too injury prone for them. Yeah. The Dodgers make some sense for him if they're going to let Jason Hayward walk and David Peralta walk. A lot of interesting fits for Brantley. Just because like anybody could use that type of bat. He, he he didn't really play that much this year, but again, it's still Michael Brantley. Yeah, he's the kind of guy that still will have the cachet. And honestly, I kind of feel the same way about Votto. Like, I think that there's concerns just from a statistical standpoint of, of what you know you're getting from Votto, but... I just refuse to believe that 29 teams are going to pass up the chance to let him try. And I just, man, the Blue Jays thing would just be so interesting because he really could fit the the hole that Brandon Bell is presumably going to vacate. Uh, but we'll see. We will see. I think the Votto free agency is, is going to be unlike really anything we've seen, certainly in his career, obviously. But um, just in general, where does he land? Is, is, is he someone that jumps at an opportunity as soon as it comes, you know, in early December, is he someone that is still waiting around for a spot to open up in the spring training? There's a lot, a lot of questions with Votto. Of course, I heavily invested in, in what that looks like. At the very least, we do not think he will be returning to the Reds. Uh, okay, enough of DHs. Let's talk about guys that can actually field a little bit. We have an interesting group of center fielders. Uh, we have Kevin Kiermeyer coming off of essentially a career offensive season, but he's 34. Michael A. Taylor, also a sneaky career offensive season. 21 home runs for Michael A. Taylor, also playing very good defense while Byron Buxton was injured. Harrison Bader, who could have made a lot of money, and he was horrific offensively, ended up on the Reds and was injured and was still good on defense, but offensively has been atrocious since he hit all those home runs in the playoffs last year. And then Adam Duvall, who is not necessarily still like a great center fielder the way these three other guys are, but can still play center field and offensively has shown flashes of excellence in ways that these three other guys really have not. Uh, And so even though he's getting a little bit older, 
you can see a team kind of talking themselves into there. So where do you kind of see, I think the Michael A. Taylor is, is one that I, I'm just, I'm fascinated by. I just, I don't know why I, I would absolutely rather have him than Bader. I think just the upside is similar is, and he already showed it and he's been more healthy. Like I just think Taylor is, is a really interesting one. And then Kiermaier is one I'm, I'm fascinated to see to what degree teams believe he actually improved on offense, or if they kind of shrug that off and still kind of bank on him as just an awesome defensive center fielder. Anything else you get from that is a bonus. He at least has the fact that he's a left-handed hitter. So that helps him, but I still, I very much doubt the offensive impact for Kiermaier and you're still buying the glove. I would give Kiermaier again, bad Jake GM, bad GM Jake. Four years, Kevin Kiermaier. Welcome to my ball club. Would love to have you. Veteran presence. We love that lefty stick. Jordan, he is so good in center still. Yeah. I think he's going to be good in center for another five years. He is an outrageous athlete. Prepares unlike anybody defensively. Keeps great care of himself. I don't... Obviously, he's not going to get four years. He's not going to get three. I do think he gets two, which is an improvement after getting only one last year. A lot of teams could use a guy like him. Even if you have an everyday center fielder, right, you could put him uh, in center and then push the other person to to left and platoon him. There's a lot of things you can do with Kiermaier. The glove is just still so elite. I have to think multiple teams will be enticed by him. Yeah. Man. What team? Yeah, let's, let's think about what teams like desperately need center field defense. I mean, okay. So the Yankees are an interesting one because – they seem to be okay, especially for this year, right? We we assume they want it to be Jason Dominguez in the future, but that's not happening in 2024, and they're not a team that they're going to sit around and wait for anything. So I think he would make sense for them. I think he could make sense for a team like, honestly, Boston. I don't know where they're at with Jaron Duran defensively. I know I certainly haven't enjoyed the Jaron Duran center field experience. Um, but they had him, they had Duvall. I don't think they believe in Rafaela as like a full-time guy. So that's another team that is clearly going to be trying to win that I could see them in the mix. And then Minnesota, I, I, I'm i really curious, are we totally done with Buxton in the outfield? Like if so, like that's, that's an issue. They're going to have to figure that out. Taylor is a free agent. So that's a team, like a good team that probably is going to need one. Um, Detroit is another one. If they don't believe that Riley Green can play center field all the time and push him to a corner, that could make more sense. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, I see, uh, again, not that many obvious spots uh, among good teams, but uh, I think these guys will still do, do just fine. I think the Astros are another team who could add a center fielder. Mm-hmm. Keep an eye on them. And then I know Lars Newbar is everybody's favorite baseball player, but I think the Cardinals could be an interesting fit for Kiermaier. That's a, that's a really good one, actually, um, just because they are going to trade at least one of the hitters O'Neal seems like definitely out the door, if not Carlson too. And so you could see a situation where it makes more sense to have Newport in a corner. Adam Duvall, probably just the Braves again. Yep. Uh, let's move on to the corner outfielders. Speaking of the Braves, Jason Hayward, Tommy mm. Pham, David Peralta, Hunter Renfro, Andrew McCutcheon, who's just going to go back to Pittsburgh, Joey Gallo, Eddie Rosario, and Aaron Hicks. Yeah. So let's be. Yeah, I, I think I, Hayward and Pham are pretty clearly yeah. on their own here. Like big um, league deals, Hayward yep. could even get two years. Fam, I think Fam's, could get two years. Yeah, like Fam has the underlying metrics in his favor. I don't know if it was a career high ex woba, but like dude, dude was hitting. His process was working, and I know the overall numbers were not overwhelming, but I think he he was a big winner of this season. I know he's a little bit older, but I think he could get a multi year deal. And I think Hayward's stuff was pretty pretty legit too. I think for him to be able to, you know, he's not a big, you know, strikeout risk. He's still a pretty good outfielder. He has that going for him more than fan, less defensive value there, but they can still fake it out there. The rest of this group, I think Eddie Rosario is one who like clearly had a really good season. The Braves were just like, we don't really trust this. We don't really want to, you know, reinvest in this uh, for a whole other season. They, they think they can upgrade. And based on the corner outfielders we described earlier, I, I agree with them. But I think he's really solid. And honestly, I think Joey Gallo kind of did exactly what they like. His offensive line ended up being the same thing. It was a much more extreme. Like he was a league average hitter. I know he was hurt at the end and not a part of the Twins um, offense. It's an absurd amount of strikeouts, but the power was still there. Like I would not be surprised if another team still thinks that Joey Gallo is uh, is worth maybe not as much as he got last year, but I I still think he's going to get a major league deal again. Who thinks they can fix Hunter Renfro? Renfro's weird because he's so consistent, even though he's not actually that good on the whole. 
and then this year it was just a disaster. Like he, that's the kind of profile that like when it goes off a cliff like that, it, he might just be toast. <laughs> and watching him in Cincinnati, I was like, oh yeah, it's done, it's over. But I don't know. Some people are still putting him high in free agent rankings. I don't know if it's just the situation where the track record of power is long enough, and maybe he belongs with Adam Duvall. Like honestly, is it that difference from Adam Duvall? I mean, he can't play center field, but he's still. I, I don't know. I'm not really. I used to be a Renfro guy. I've kind of moved on, so. I'm a little more skeptical there. Let's move on to our penultimate group of infielders. It is a very weak class for infielders after the last couple of seasons that were stocked, stacked, yeah. chock full of shortstops. Here's who we got. Tim Anderson, Whit Merrifield, Gio Urshela, Ahmed Rosario. Hmm. Hmm. So... Huh. Uh, first of all, yeah, I mean, it, I remember the last few years, it's like, oh man, like better go to shortstop now because next couple classes are pretty, pretty bad. And then you get here, you're like, oh my God. And not only is it like, there's a version where Tim Anderson was an all-star this year and Ahmed Rosario even just did what he had done the two previous seasons where he was like an okay shortstop, made a bunch of contact, hit 280, played every game, whatever. Instead, Tim Anderson, total disaster. Ahmed Rosario, essentially all the offense went you know, poof, and he got traded, and he was essentially just a platoon second baseman, and now it's like, what are we even talking about here? I still, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I'm I, kind of, like, who would you, okay, who would you rather give two years, Tim Anderson or Ahmed Rosario? Tim Anderson. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, tell me more. The ceiling is higher. Yeah. I think if you know how to teach hitting, like, Tim Anderson is not, a, a much, much, much worse athlete mm. than he was two years ago when he was great. Mm. His slide is due to approach issues or mechanic mechanical stuff. And I think you can try and fix some of that. I think Rosario is just a limited player. Sure. Well, Rosario has going for him, uh, again, as we mentioned before, is youth. He's one of the youngest free agent hitters. He'll be just 28. He does have a specific, I agree he's more limited, but you also do kind of know what you're getting in that he does, has always hit lefties. He, he is able to, he's shown in the past to be a competent shortstop. The defense went to shit this year, but I feel like that was kind of fluky in the way that Anderson's bat went down. So I think I still agree. I think someone might get, yeah, like one of those steals of the offseason, of course, if Tim Anderson reverts to even like a pretty good player. But I, I feel like I know what I'm getting more with Rosario. I wouldn't give either of them two years, but you know. Miami Marlins, you miss Miguel Rojas? Go get a Med Rosario. That would be pretty lit. Uh, Whit Merrifield is different because he can play more positions. Doesn't hit the ball hard at all, but he can still run. He can still put the ball in play. And I think the multiple positions thing will help him. And like baseball teams really like Whit Merrifield. So I imagine he will do okay. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a multi-year deal. Uh, and then Gio Urshela is just one I wanted to mention, make sure I mentioned here. His season got totally lost with the Angels. He was injured, you know, had a season-ending like pelvis injury, which was no bueno. But he was really good in 22. And like, I still think he's a decent defender. I don't think he's a terrible hitter either. Like, I, I don't know. I, I've been surprised he's gotten totally lost unless his injury is compromised him to a point where no one really believes in him and the medical sucks. Like, I think Gio Urshela is a is a solid player for someone. Last group, catchers, also known as. Gary Sanchez. Gary Sanchez. Uh, yeah, he's basically the... Now, this is... Uh, like, first of all, let's remember that it took... The Padres were the third team that tried to employ him this year after the Mets and the Giants. So, it's not even like, oh, someone took a gamble on him in the beginning of the year and then he finally... Fi no, no, no. It, it was a few stops before he looked like a lot like Gary Sanchez. Like He hit 19 home runs for the Padres. I yeah, remember. I think he, in the time that he was with the Padres, I think he led or was top three among all catchers in home runs. Like, that's kind of what you're getting. And he was not a complete abomination on defense. He he is, he's not great, but he was a, he's a catcher. He's a catcher that can hit the ball over the fence. How many of these catchers get a major league deal? I'm going to say a name. You just say yes or no. Ready? Hmm. Gary Sanchez. Yes. Victor Caratini. Yes. Martin Maldonado. <sighs> I'm actually going to... Oh, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say yes. He hits lefties. Okay. Austin Hedges. Oh, man. No. 
Kirk Sally. No. Tom Murphy. Yes. Absolutely Tom Murphy. Yasmani Grandal. No. Roberto Perez. Grandal's now in the Gary position of people being like, yo, remember how freaking awesome he was? But boy, is he bad. Roberto Perez, no. But Mike Zunino. I mean, Mike Zunino. I I would love to, but I don't I have no no sense for what Mike Zunino is up to right now. So I wish I could say yes, but probably not. All right, those are your catchers. And those are your uh, free agent hitters. Gary. I love that the I love that we're not done with Gary. That, that does make me happy. Yeah. Like uh here are just other some bottom feeders is a mean word. Here are just some random remember that guy names at the bottom of the free agent list. So one of these people is going to figure it out and be like totally fine next year and be a main character of oh, our oh, lives. Oh, of, of the hitters, you mean? Yeah. Of just like this whole enormous group. Like Trey Mancini, mm-hmm. Luke Voigt, Mike Moustakis, Joey Wendell, Eduardo Escobar, Brandon Crawford, Kike Hernandez, Colton Wong, Paul DeYoung, Keston Hura, Oof, David Peralta, Hura. Jake Marisnik, Kevin Pillar. Cole Calhoun, who was like Robbie Grossman. Hello. Robbie Grossman. Robbie Grossman batting third for the World Series champion Rangers. You know, Longoria, is he still playing? There's there's many, many of free agents out there. Col- oh, Colton Wong. I just, I can't handle that. Josh Donaldson, who, Josh Donaldson, definitely at least he still believes he can play. So we'll see if any other teams want to, want to let him. So we'll see. Hey, these uh, signings will start rolling in at some point. But that is our preview of the free agent hitter class. If you disagree with anything we said, let us know. Baseballbarbacast at gmail.com. That's B-A-R-B-Cast. Thank you, Jake, for reviewing all of these hitters with me and all of them who, uh, yeah, they, they, they kind of scare the shit out of me. But I'm excited. They're going to have to sign somewhere, and we will see what teams they land on. Uh, thank you, Jake, for doing this podcast with me. Thank you all for listening. Again, baseballbarbacast at gmail.com. You can get your Barbacast merch, podswag.com slash baseball. Thank you to Chris Tyler for producing. We will be back on Friday to talk about the MVP, the Cy Young, and preview the free agent pitcher class. Um, so if you're if you're looking forward to our Michael Walker thoughts, just just two more days, just two more days. Hopefully you can uh, hopefully you can manage. Uh, but until then, thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you all very soon. Serious XM Podcasts.